Welcome to Karate Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. We are doing something special today. We've been talking about this for a little while, and uh, you've heard us say the word filmnesia more than one time. We're finally getting around to doing it today. And again, the premise of filmnesia, which we've never described before, is the scientists of the world have created this pill that if you take this pill, it'll make you forget a very specific movie that you love and adore, and you want to experience it again for the first time because it's so impactful on you. Today, we have a very, very special guest for our inaugural episode of Filmnesia. His feature debut was The Joneses with David Duchovny and Demi Moore. 2009, I can't believe it's that long. London Town in 2016, last year's American Dreamer. And coming next month, hopefully, fingers crossed that we'll get to see this in the movie theater, Unhinged, we have Mr. Derek Porte. Yay! <laughs> hey, I'm glad to be here. Those of you that know that last year, Derek and Freddie both worked together on Unhinged in New Orleans. Ironically, that affected the debut of this silly podcast that we do. <laughs> we waited right. till you got back to me before you put it out there. So if you guys, uh, do you guys want to talk about your experiences on, on making the movie and looking forward to the release next month? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, first thing, if anyone ever uh, tries to convince you to go to New Orleans during hurricane season to make a movie that's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, mostly outdoors, I would tell them probably not the best idea. We got delayed by a hurricane. Yeah. Um, I think it actually was a, what was it? Maybe, maybe it had reduced to a tropical storm by the time it reached us, but they evacuated, pushed us by a week. And right. on top of that, we had, you know, lightning delays almost every day. And I would get IVs at lunchtime because it was so hot that, you know, like I couldn't even drink enough fluid to stay hydrated. It, it was, uh, it, that part of the job was was um, you know less than desirable, but um, amazing crew, great locations, and you know great cast on the film. So you know, I, Freddie did a did an amazing job transforming parts of New Orleans and parts of Kenner right. into uh, <laughs> to a cohesive world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. But it was you know, look, it was great fun, and uh, if it was easy, everybody would do it. You know, so I'm not, I'm not <laughs> certainly not trying to complain about it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it, there were challenges, but I mean, I you know, I felt like we 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 rallied, and uh, you know, every time something you know, every time something came up, you know, we either we, we either rallied it or we fixed it. We found something that worked better, and you know, sometimes things happen for a reason because uh, you know, I feel like everything, you know, everything uh, everything worked out the way it was supposed to. Yeah, yeah, we 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 had a we took over a Nordstrom. Was it? Was it a Nordstrom? It was a Macy's. Or yeah, an a Macy's, abandoned a Macy's. A Macy's. Abandoned Macy's was our was our uh, production offices, and we built some stages in there. Freddie uh, transformed the, yeah. the the first floor of of Macy's into um, into our sound stage, and our offices were on the second floor. It was it was uh, quite an experience, that's for sure. And I think it's I mean it's come together in, into a a real nail biter, edge of your seat thriller that hopefully will be a nice uh, a nice way to kick off people. Hopefully being able to um, to go back to the movies here soon. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I, I when I saw that, uh, you know, when I saw it had been bumped up, you know, when uh, Lisa sent me the article and everything, man, I I was thrilled because I was like, man, this would be the perfect thing just to get out of the house and see on a big screen and get back into movies. And the trailer is amazing. It's so good. Yeah, I was excited by the trailer, and you know, to me, I always felt even on the, from the script that this was like a real, like almost like a real drive-in kind of movie. You know, just from thinking about movies I saw at the drive-in, you know, when I was a kid, and and I'm happy to to hear that drive-ins are having a kind of a renaissance right now, yeah. right? Um, and I, and I think we're going to hopefully be, you know, 
in 300 drive-ins around the country as well. So, you know, we're definitely, you know, monitoring state and local governments as far as kind of what's going to be allowed and what's not to. But I think if they, wherever they say it's going to be safe enough to open, I think they're going to do some checkerboard seatings and some sanitization, sanitization, disinfecting between screenings. And, and uh, you know, hopefully it'll be something that uh, gets people out of the house and, and uh, you know, forgetting about, you know, everything else going on in the world for at least in, uh, at least 90 minutes or so. Yeah, man. Amen to that. Yeah. I saw the hitcher in a drive. And the first time I saw the hitcher and right away when I saw the trailer for Unhinged and, you know, Freddie, Freddie's been very, because he knows how I am. I'm, I'm a massive movie fan and he was really good about never spoiling anything for me <laughs> of things that he's working on. Cause he knows I want to see it, but he strikes enough interest in the project, not just because he worked on it, because I mean, if he's into it, uh, a project he's working on, then that's enough of a selling point for me. So when I saw the trailer, it reminded me so much of the hitcher, that vibe I got. I'm like, you know what? I want to, I want to see that in the drive-in anyway. So it's funny that you brought that up because I, I had that same feeling. I'm like this would be wonderful to see in the drive-in. That's because that's the only practical way of seeing it. Hopefully it's not true when it comes out next month. Yeah, it really feels like something that would be perfect to be sitting in your car when it's seemingly even by the trailer that a lot of it takes place in their cars in the movie. But I'm sure it's, <laughs> I'm sure it's, they're not in their cars the whole time. Yeah, no, true, true. And I think that, you know, hopefully it seems like when you pitch people the project, they, everyone has some connection to their brush with a road rage incident of some sort. You know, when I was, when I would tell people what I'm, what I'm working on, tell them I'm doing this road rage thriller immediately they everybody that i say that to wants to tell me about their their latest brush with somebody you know kind of losing it on the road in some some way not nearly to the level that russell does in this film but everybody has some connection of of you know honking at the wrong person or cutting in front of the wrong person and and you know we're all so close to 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 things really taking a taking a crazy turn just from encountering the wrong person on the road that i think this the film kind of does connect with 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 everyone who hears about it so i think that's you know hopefully a good sign right like everybody has a, everybody has a road rage story whether in in sometimes you know you're on both sides of the coin you know sometimes sometimes people would tell me about you know somebody cut them off and da 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 and then you know and they had to stop themselves or you know or they were like my god you know i, I just made a left turn in front of this guy and i tried to wave him around and i but he didn't see me. So I just went around him and, you know, so, you know, it's funny, you get both sides of the story. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting that everybody, it's, it's one of those things everybody's kind of experienced one way or the other, which was one, one of the things I thought was so great about the script when I read it before we, uh, before you and I had talked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people read it and connected with it in that same way. And, and look, it, you know, Russell's character is obviously uh, someone that takes it to, to an extreme that hopefully, you know, hopefully none of us ever have to deal with, but I, I think that um, it's a great escape for for ninety minutes. I mean, it will it is absolutely uh, like a, a heart pounding, edge of your seat kind of thrill ride. That um, you know, maybe there's something worth discussing afterwards as it relates to the state of the world. But uh, at the same time, it's just you know a great great way to escape and eat some popcorn too. Yeah, man, get your blood pumping. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> What I really dug is that when the one sheet got released, the teaser poster that came out, I love that they use that. To me, it's already an iconic shot of Russell with the half rolled down driver's side window. That first photograph that got released and incorporating that in the one sheet is so perfect. If that's not enough of a reason to make you go, what's that about? 
without even seeing the trailer. That's that's good advertising, and I'm and I'm really looking forward to people uh, getting a chance to get excited about the movie because it looks again. Obviously, I have personal reasons why I want people to see it, yeah. but it just looks really good. It just looks like a fun time to just kind of, like you said, maybe even in turn spurn some conversation afterwards with society, the way things are going right now. Yeah, I'm glad you like the poster, though, because, I, I, you know, I'd always thought of Russell's character as as the shark in Jaws. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody <laughs> goes immediately to duel a, a lot of times with this film, but I think it's actually, you know... To me, it feels more like Jaws. When we thought about that that idea for that photo, or really the sh- it came from the shot of the film where he he glances over that edge of the window. I just right. thought this is the shark coming up, you know, right right before uh, you know Brody says we're going to need a bigger boat right there. I think right. that uh, that's the idea of where that where that photo came from. And you know, I, I don't know that people make the connection, but but it does seem to 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 resonate with people. That's for sure. When when it was uh, when the trailer hit and they announced the July release, I thought I have two things to do in July: celebrate my birthday, see Jaws again, because you know that's what you do in July. <laughs> and it sounds like hopefully we'll see this in the same week that we go see uh, see Jaws in the theater again too. That'd be sweet. Double feature, perfect pairing, right? Freddie and I went to go see Jaws on the big screen when we were in New Orleans shooting this. Actually, yeah. I remember him texting me about that. I was like so jealous because I'm like, I'm working, dude. I'm working on a soccer tournament. I can't go anywhere. <laughs> it, it was funny too, right, Derek? We, we went to this beautiful old theater called the Britannia. Um, and uh, I want to say it was a Sunday morning. It was pretty early. It was nine or 10 o'clock. And then we're like, yeah. it was, there were 50, 60 people in that theater. It was cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was very cool. That was a good find on your part. Freddie's like, <laughs> you're not going to believe this, but Jaws is playing this weekend. <laughs> we're there. Yeah, man, it was good times. He was noted, Freddie was noted to me that there was a mixed bag of ages too. And and I've always felt how important that is. And I saw that, I've seen it a lot here in LA too, when they have these screenings of older films and Jaws especially, they get a full theater and it is literally ages like six on up to 70, 80 years old because it's, there's people that want to experience it again, which is kind of the theme of the show of experience it again. Uh, some people were seeing it for the first time and it's, what an amazing way to see a movie that is 45 years old. Wow. And to see it that way for the first time, that would have been amazing. But I'm very excited about this movie and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, and, you know, it says a lot come July that the movie hits the theaters and hopefully we're in sit down theaters as well. It says a lot too that the studio has, a lot of confidence the studio has in the project for them to up it by, by two months, right? You guys were looking at September originally? Yeah, we were looking at September and then the studio saw the film. I guess the wheels started turning then because they were they were, you know, really happy with the film. And and then I got a call saying, Hey, we're thinking about trying to be the first movie back in theaters. You know, what do you think about that? And, you know, my first reaction was, Wow, I can't believe they're even asking my opinion, which was great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then my second, you know, thought was like, look, if it's safe, I think it's a bold move. And you know, if you believe in the film that much, let's do it. And uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm sure Russell uh, and and Karen will be doing a virtual press tour, you know, doing the shows, but but probably from from Australia via via Skype or something, however, they're doing all the talk shows these days. And, and uh, it'll be, we're going to kind of figure out what the new normal is, I guess, once we once we uh, get open. 
Yeah, man, definitely. I mean, it's very exciting, you know, and we're like, what is it? It's like three weeks for it's we're three weeks away, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, man. I'm I'm super pumped. When I show the trailer to my coworkers, it's so funny how they all reacted the same way. They're cheering Russell on more than the safety of the family. And I thought that was interesting. They're like, she was being snotty back to him. Yeah. She could have been cool about it, but she wasn't. That's an interesting way of looking at it. But like Jaws, everybody sides the shark. Who, you know, there's some great stuff when the shark's not there, but people want to see the shark. Yeah, I think that that you know the trailer obviously gives you kind of a of a of a different view of the film. And of I course. think that yeah. um, look, he is a bad guy in this film. That there's no doubt about that. <laughs> he is he is a guy that um, is unable to uh, to process what's happening to him and and much like I think we see in the world around us today is handling it in a very, uh, very wrong way. And, um, you know, uh, I'm sure yet I'm sure there are going to be people who do side with him. You know, I think that um, maybe that's what's uh, at least in the in the tests that we've done, the screenings we've done, you know, maybe that's part of what's gotten such enthusiasm out of the audiences for the film is just that, you know, you're going to root for somebody in the film, you know, whether it's the traditional good guys, you know, or the, or bad guys or however you want to look at it. I mean, you're going to be sitting on the edge of your seat waiting to see what happens next. And your heart's going to be, you know, beating out of your chest. And, and, uh, that's a good thing. I think that everybody's going to kind of see it a little differently. Do we know a rating yet? Has it gone? You just turned it in. Oh, it's an R it's, it's, it's definitely definitely. an R. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, man. It's an R. No, I think everybody's going to be so excited to go back and see a new movie in the theater and not see a cinema at home, which is still cool. But uh, so are they still at this point? Are they still sticking with theatrical? They're not doing a day of, are they? No, no, they're sticking with theatrical right now. All right, I'm going to say, Corey, this movie is going to it's a, it's a big scopey movie, and to me, the only way to see this really is on a, in a theater or a drive-in. You know, the in-home cinema, sure, whatever, if that's all that's possible. But I mean, there's some beautiful wide shots in this movie, and um, you know, it would be. In my opinion, you'd be better to see this in a theater. All around tension, it's just one of those movies. You want to see this on the biggest screen you can get it on. Am I? I mean, I, I don't think I'm wrong. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see Freddie's beautiful production design on a giant no, screen? No, it's- no, it's not even that, man. It's just you know what I mean. It's like uh, it's like the scope of the movie. It just scream. You know, it screams. As I don't want to give away too much of the movie. It feels like, I mean, when you see something like when we saw American Dreamer last year at, at your screening in Los Angeles, that movie lends itself. And the, it being in a small theater was, was so kick-ass too. And just because of the, the intimacy of the characters on screen being in the car so much and, or being in a small room in a house, it was, it, it felt so good to be so tight with, with the, with the group of people watching the movie with us, this movie feels like, yeah, I want to see it loud and with as many people as possible. But yeah, I, I mean, if and seeing the drive driving would be cool. Maybe I'll see it in the drive-in, but I think if I have a chance, chance to see it in a nice big screen with a sit down with a bunch of other people where I can hear and feel their reactions. Yeah. That's going to be the best experience for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, there's definitely, um, quite a few places in this film where the, where the room will shake, <laughs> you know, you want to be in, you want to be in the right room for this because the exactly. room will shake and, and <laughs> it will, it will bond you forever with those people that you, that you watch the film with. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about. There we go. Right. July 1st, July 1st, fingers crossed, July 1st, fingers crossed. Yep. 
So Derek, what is it about Angel Heart that affected you so much that you'd want to experience it again as if it was the first time? Obviously, we were all pretty young when we saw it relative to our ages now, but what moved you most about it and what, how did it help develop your voice, do you think? Well, I think that, you know, the, the, you know, the biggest thing that, that the very first time I saw it was the reveal. That was the sixth sense or, or, or usual suspects of, you know, my teenage years. It just came out of nowhere. Like you just absolutely, like to me, I don't, I don't know anybody that ever said, oh yeah, halfway through it, I kind of knew what was going to happen. Right. <laughs> no, um, I me neither, man. <laughs> and yet when it happens, you kind of completely get it. Right. So the, the reveal is what got me first. I think that, you know, there's, you know, at, at whatever age I was when I first saw it, you know, I don't know that some of the, the things that I appreciate about it now got me at least consciously. I think that, you know, Mickey work was obviously a, you know, huge, huge star at the time. And, and, um, he was so, first of all, he's so good in the movie. I mean, he, yeah, yes. he really, the range that he shows and, 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 you know, basically a guy confronted with what he's confronted with, you know, I don't want to give it, give it away here, but a guy confronted with what he, he finds out, you know, that's, that's hard to play. And to play it against De Niro. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Um, you know, and, and I think that De Niro could have played that, you know, I mean, he is so amazing as Louis Saifier. I think that we've seen things like Devil's Advocate and things like that, where maybe, uh, you know, actors are less nuanced about playing similar <laughs> characters. Yeah. But, you know, he's, you know, he's amazing. And then, and look, even, even, you know, at the time, I mean, Lisa Bonet, I mean, she's great in the film. I mean, she, yeah. No one had ever seen her like that, obviously. And I, I don't mean that. In a, I'm not trying to make make fun of it. I think that, you know, she's she's so good in it. And, you know, so I'm so I'm obsessed with this film, uh, as if you guys you know can't tell already to the point where, <laughs> you know, look, I've even tried to get the book rights and um, I would never I heard they were doing a remake and I would never want to do a remake of Angel Heart. I think it's like that's one of those movies that just they would ruin almost like Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes or something. Right. They would just, you know, they would ruin the magic of the film. What what I would like to do is do a prequel and all of the exposition that you hear about in the film about Johnny Favorite, uh, you know, Johnny Liebling when he meets Louis Saifier originally in the club in Harlem with Toots Sweet and his, you know, his love triangle between Margaret Cruzmark and Evangeline Proudfoot, who we never meet in the movie, who's 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 Lisa Bonet's mother. I think there's a really great like limited series that could be that that could really work as a prequel to Angel Heart. Oh yeah, you know, go back to to how he became famous and his dealings with Louis Saifier and and you know, kind of and maybe you flash forward a little bit. I don't know, but I think they're, you know, that's how obsessed I am with this film is that I just you know I just. I would hate to see it remade, but I think there's so much material in it that has not been explored that I think that, you know, maybe like the way they did Hannibal. Right. Absolutely. You know, and I'm a huge, you know, not to jump ship here, but like I'm a huge Manhunter fan, you know, absolutely my favorite uh, of the, of the series. And, you know, I think Brian Cox is absolutely the scariest Hannibal Lecter that I've ever seen. And, Anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. No, no, I no, I, no, I, Fred, <laughs> no, Freddie and I've talked about that. It's like, yeah, I like, I like what happens in Silence of the Lambs. Okay, but it's the way Cox is so matter of fact. He's not going for. I don't want to say campy. I don't want to say that's what what happens in Lambs, but 
I just, I agree. But to me, that's always been, that's Lecter. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's a perfect time because it's very much the nuanced performance that De Niro gives in this movie is it's, it's very similar to the nuanced performance that Cox gives in Manhunter. 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, oh, a limited series. I hadn't, I had never thought about that. I, I just kept hearing remake of Angel Heart. Now, and, and every time I heard it, I would just put my hands over my ears and hope, hope that it was going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, look, I've been trying honestly. And I just, I think the the problem is the rights are split between a few different people and it's just really, um, uh, who knows if it'll ever happen or not? But I've I've been trying. I mean, I'm still trying actually to try to get to get the rights to to be able to do a, a prequel limited series just based on the characters, and you know keep running into into brick walls as I try. It's amazing how many people haven't seen Angel Heart. I've been surprised when I let people know, I'm like, hey, yeah, we're finally getting around uh, to doing the first themed episode, and talked about what movie was going to co- be covered. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen that. I'm like, well, really? And that's just crazy to me. And like, there's for no other reason, it's, you, you should be drawn to it just for De Niro. I remember at the time what, it, how weird it was. And I mentioned this to Freddie in a text earlier. There's lots of things about the production I found unusual. The opening credits struck me funny. De Niro has a, has one of those television type of credits where it says like, I think it says, um, special appearance by or something to that effect or like something you'd normally see like a murder she wrote where it said you know special guest appearance by it was you didn't see that a lot in feature films and it but um sorry i was like that was just kind of i had to get that out there i was thinking about that earlier but as a a a prequel limited series i've noticed the most successful limited series that come out now are with properties that people are aware of but may have may not have seen so I think that would really lend itself, even as a fan of the movie, that would lend itself to to a good time and entertaining storytelling by having a limited series like that. I think a lot of people would be drawn to it just because it sounds unfamiliar to them. It'll sound unique to them because they're, they haven't seen Angel Heart. Sure. And I think the world, I mean, you know, you know, between Harlem and and Coney Island and, you know, the various various places that that the story would take place if it was whatever 15 years earlier i think that uh there's just such opportunity to to, for 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 content that is inherent in the film but you don't ever see you just you just learn about via exposition and that's it and that's another thing too the the exposition in the movie doesn't feel heavy-handed like you can feel in some other things there's sometimes it's just sometimes it's just there's just too much dialogue going on but this, it's very effective. It's very economical, and it doesn't ever, it never feels heavy-handed. And which I think what helps sells the movie is like, well, I mean, that's that's great exposition if you don't realize that's what it is, and <laughs> in the moment. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, every because everyone he comes in contact with as he's as he's investigating the, uh, you know, uh, on his case. I mean, they're giving him information via exposition, but it never feels that way. I mean, I think that. Charlotte Rampling is just so great in the film and, 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 you know, the, but she, she's delivering exposition, but it's so emotionally charged, you know, obviously because this is a guy who, who, you know, in some ways I, you know, broke her heart and, and, um, you know, and then when, when, um, you know, Stucker Fontelieu, who plays her dad gives the real exposition of the film before his head gets dunked into the gumbo. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that, it's interesting. I mean, you know, writing 
you know, you always have to find ways to, to, to yeah. use exposition to give, you know, obviously to move the story forward. And this script does such a great job of doing that in ways where you never feel, you never have that exposition light go off, you know, because it's so charged with either the drama of the scene or emotionally charged or, or, you know, each, each character that's giving us exposition is just doing it in a way that's so organically, you know, w far more interesting than just pure exposition. So obviously you can tell I, this is one of, this is, you know, definitely <laughs> a movie that I feel passionate about. I was, I wanted to say every character that we meet along the way who gives us exposition is totally believable. And it, they, I, I don't feel any of it. I don't feel, I don't, I never feel like anybody's just acting and giving me the piece to get me to the next piece. Like when we see, you know, Michael Higgins as Dr. Fowler, uh, who he meets up in Poughkeepsie uh, at the beginning yeah. of this. I mean, that whole <laughs> the dude, junkie. Junkie, the junkie, right? I mean, that, and and then just Rourke's interaction with him and the way he's playing it, you know, the cold, the whole cold sweat thing. I mean, all of it is fantastic. I mean, they they really got some great faces cast, and I mean, the right actors, and Parker got some great. I mean, he got performances out of everybody. There's not like a, there's not a weak even even the uh, girl who um, plays. Um, Connie, the uh, girl who brings him the stuff from right, the times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. How how great is that scene with her in the bar, and then the in scene, the bar, and yeah. then the scene with them later on, where she's like giving the exposition, and they're on the bed, and you're just like, I mean, I'm so into what she's saying, I don't even care what's happening. And you know, even at 17, when I should care what's happening more than what she's saying, I'm just like listening to her, you know, give these clues because I'm, I, you know, now I'm, I'm invested in his journey. Cause it's, you know, it's where, where I never knew where this movie was going when I was, when I, the first time I saw it. And it's one of the reasons I would, when you said angel heart and I was like, Oh God, dude, I got like, I mean, I was like, Oh, angel heart. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it is. None of the exposition feels like exposition. It's like, it's like having a voiceover, but not a voiceover. You're getting it all. It's it's very of the of this noir style. I mean, this thing is hip deep in noir. Yeah, man, I'm with you. I, I'm I'm kind of passionate about it too. So I'm gonna be quiet for a minute. <laughs> yeah, every character. I mean, even down to like um, what's her the woman who's in the who's waiting in the water in Coney Island for her for her varicose oh. veins and the, with the, and, uh, and whose husband makes this no, the nose shields. Yeah, right. Oh my god, that was so And funny. she's singing yeah. the Johnny she's singing the Johnny favorite song. And uh what does she call? What are you a gazuni? She oh, says right. something to, to What are you a gazuni? What are you <laughs> But yeah, so look, I mean I you know, like I imagine like being able to see Margaret Kruzmark twenty years earlier as Madame Zora on Coney Island doing fortunes, you know, with her with her boyfriend, the crooner, Johnny Favorite, and you know, and then Johnny's uh New Orleans voodoo priestess as his other girlfriend. I think it could just be a super cool eight episodes of something, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the things too, I, I struck me obviously are the visuals in the movie. You have a, a, a DP in this, uh, Michael Saracen that did the, did the camera work in this. And he's now he's worked with Alan quite a bit and he worked on pretty much everything he did from, fame forward but he also worked on Bugsy Malone but in Bugsy Malone I think he was more of like an assistant camera guy something along those lines if you look at all of his work that he's done fame shoot the moon birdie angel heart the other ones are good but they just they don't sell a feeling that this movie 
sells. The images in this movie are so unique, but familiar at the same time. It's in hindsight when you look back and and a lot of the the repetitive things like the fans we discussed earlier in the elevators, those kinds of things don't really sell anything until you get to the reveal. And then afterwards, and when you see it a second time or a third time, those elements stand out and you realize that Parker has been leading you down that path to that reveal every step of the way from the first frame forward. You're like a detective. I mean, he, you know, he's dropping clues. I mean, you're, you're on this, I mean, for me, this is one of the very first movies I ever saw where I was in the same shoes with Harry Angel. I, I was learning this stuff as it was happening, as he was in those flashbacks and those other things. They're like clues and hints. They're being subtly dropped. And, you know, I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, What's, you know, I didn't know, you know, I, they were showing these pieces, you know, it's like the hallway of the church, the the, the yeah. figure, the figure in black that he just can't reach. Uh, you know, every time he reaches for it, somebody grabs him and beats the shit out of him. <laughs> I mean, you right, know, you're, right. you're, you're basically, it's almost like a, a you know, a verse, you're, you're, it's like a first person viewing of the movie, right? You're, you're Harry Angel. You're, you're learning right, all this stuff, exactly. you know, and it, it, for me, it was kind of unique. It was the first movie I ever felt totally immersed in, I guess, if that's the right way to say it, like where I was, I was discovering along with the character. And I feel like that's Parker, but it's also Rourke. I mean, man, this is where Mickey Rourke, Mickey Rourke was in my eyes and from 1984 <laughs> to about 1988 or 89, if Mickey Rourke, if I heard he was in a movie, I would drive, you know, 45 minutes to Fresno <laughs> to go to go see things. <laughs> oh my because, gosh. You know, it's you know, Mickey was Mickey was a movie star, man. And he was like an old school movie star. So um, you know, all those things, all those little pieces, those connective things, you know, that we're seeing, you know, him sort of and he's trying to figure out what they mean. And, you know, so I mean, it's the tap dancing, back to the tap dancing. That's another thing. You know, he's cutting back and forth and it's a piece. Um, it's just one of those things. You're along for the ride. Um, and you're meeting these people with him. And, you know, you're getting and that's what movies, you know, that's what you hope for when you make a movie, I would imagine. That's, you know, you want people to be talking about oh, it yeah. 35 years later. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And that this what lends to the whole the whole noir aspect of it, you know. You, when I Freddie and I have talked about noir in the past, and I always automatically just my thought process. I might be think about those old, uh, you know, Private Dick movies from the '40s, where we stay like we we only see what what our lead character sees as he's investigating, not unlike Angel Heart. And like you said, we're in the shoes of the we're, we're literally in the gum shoes of of Harry Angel as he's going through everything. So to me, uh, again, after the fact, it's like, oh, I, it's funny too because you don't realize it's happening until it's 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 over. <laughs> and oh man, see that's the that to me is great cinema. The audience some, sometimes it needs to be spoon fed that when they get presented something like this, they may come away feeling maybe like they were taken for a ride. Maybe it's like going. <laughs> Man, you don't have to. We don't have to cut away. We, you know, this this is storytelling, man. <laughs> Just as I find that a lot of people that have a certain experience with movies, uh, they 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 lean towards movies that don't require a lot of thought and the provocation that comes from a movie like this. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the sex aspects of it, things like that. That, but like Freddie said earlier, you know, when you have 
uh, the scene in the bar. And then afterwards when they're in the room together and she's just getting undressed. I'm yeah. Yeah. I'm 17 years old watching this naked woman on state on screen, but I can't, I can't steer away from what they're talking about. I'm paying more attention to what's being discussed. I was more enthralled with the story than the fact there was an, you know, there was nudity on the screen. I, I feel like a movie like this in general, there's so, it's so evocative with images and, and story that you've never seen before. I mean, just people will never go down this route anymore because I don't want to say controversial. It's just, people want to be spoon fed happy all the time and they don't want to, um, they don't want to experience a real movie, a real film. This movie has all of those elements. And once you, once you convince somebody to see it, this type of movie, then they're a little more inclined to kind of open their mind a little bit about things. And I think that's one of the reason why your idea of a, of a limited series would work so well because people could get it in chunks as opposed to doing a sit down. Some people feel like a movie like this is too much to endure. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, like you mentioned earlier, our interest, my interest is similar to your interest when you're hearing about the people that are in it and the controversy around the ratings and all that, which was great for the movie because it drew our attention to it. And then when we got to it. It was like, Holy shit, this is wow. Yeah. And I think you know, look, hype was a very different thing back then as well. I mean, you know, I, I'm definitely, I try to avoid it before I see a film because I, you know, I don't want to be disappointed by something being overhyped. And it seems like now, you know, long before I even get a chance to see a film, I've heard way too much about it. You know, uh, inevitably it doesn't always live up to those expectations. So, you know, had I seen it cold, I might've thought a lot more of it. You know, and I think that uh, it's hard to do that because, you know, that that's just not the way the, the business model works anymore. But but and I also think that, you know, on the feature side, I think like you were talking about things being dumbed down. I think that people accept, let's just say, lesser quality and logic and everything else, if because just to have an hour, an hour and a half or two hours of entertainment these days, it's just, you know, the, the bar is lowered. Unfortunately, I think you can do a lot more. I mean, episodic is really where you can get, you can do a lot of things that, that the great films from, from that time period were doing then. That's really where you have to go now, I think is, is into episodic, at least for the most part, to real, to have the freedom to be able to do some of those things. I agree. Yeah. I found working with a lot of the creative development executives at FX working at Fox, not so much now, obviously, because they're all Disney now, but hanging out and talk with them at lunch, these guys really understand storytelling. These, they, they really represent the type of executive that would be at a, a studio back in, in the seventies and eighties that actually understood what it takes to make a, a movie like angel heart. And they're there now cultivating that on FX. I mean, FX, uh, you know, HBO, AMC, they're, they're developing shows with God forbid, the story in mind <laughs> and that really is like that. That's the place to go right now. Now, like you said, uh, if people go to the movie theaters. Well, when they go to the movie theaters to see spectacle now that to see loud and visually stunning, shut my brain off for two hours type of, I don't want to say explosion. Just, you can say it. It's okay. Just an attack of, of, of everything on, on yourself. And look, I, I love Marvel movies. And I got a 13 year old, so we, we, we go in there and shut off, but it's not 
it's not it's not the only thing I eat. I yeah, I I enjoy my dessert, but I still eat a good meal. I still, I don't I don't feed on sugar all the time, and you can't. And but I, like you said, I, I feel like that really is the place where creative storytelling is happening, and the best place it's happening right now is it is on the small screen, unfortunately. And I don't say, I'm going to say, unfortunately, in, the, in that I wish it was happening more places. And I'm, I'm happy that we can get such wonderful stuff. And that's nice to see, to see a, a, a nine hour story arc as opposed to just two hours. But there's also something very um, intimate about watching a movie on television or watching a limited series like that. Story seems to be king right now. And in, in, in that world of limited series, I hope that changes. I mean, I, I like that it's still there. I don't want it to go away, but I like to see it kind of graduate its way back into, into features. And, you know, I think, uh, I think your work speaks to that ideal as well. I mean, I know, I, I know I say it a lot on this show, but I really, I mean, American dreamer was one, it was one of my favorite movies last year. And I'm not just saying it cause you're talking to us right now, but I, I plug that movie every chance I get, you know, I, I bought extra copies just to share it with people at work because, <laughs> because, <Thank> you. <laughs> you know, because it is, uh, it is the kind of thing that those people, it's a kind of movie that they wouldn't see, even if it was free on prime, <laughs> they wouldn't watch it. But it was, I, I was funny cause I was telling people like it's on prime it's on prime, but I became this library where I was handing out my copies and, and even though it was available to them, there was something about handing somebody the movie that they're like, yeah, I'm going to take this and I'm going to watch. It was more experiential for them. But everybody I talked to that came back with it said, wow, I had never heard of that outside of you. And that was really something else. But that's what I mean is like, as long as there's people out there, you know, that want to see this in theatrical version or limited series or whatever, that there's people out there that still want those kind of stories to be told and nurtured, man. Like, like I said, I love my, I love my popcorn movies, but give me an angel heart. Give me American dreamer. Give me unhinged, unhinged, you know, give me something that has some bite and it's not just, you know, something that we waited a year and a half for because it was all being done in a computer. Hey, Derek, I want to ask you a question just quickly. Uh, sorry, quite don't, but before I forget, did you, so I've seen Angel Heart. I, I can't tell you how many times. Up upwards of thirty. I until last night because I wanted to watch the film so I'd have it fresh in my head. I never noticed at the end when he's walking back to his hotel room right after after the reveal mm-hmm. at Cruise Mark's place. So you know, there's the black figure sitting on the stool on the on a on a bench. Mm-hmm. He passes it. They look at him. And I never realized that was De Niro until last night, man. Well, I don't think that, I, you know, I, I, it's weird because I don't <laughs> think that it was De Niro in all the other shots because it just doesn't right. look like it could have been. But no, I no, I, I definitely knew that. I just, I, you know, I think they just, he was just in there for that shot because he knew what was, right. uh, and it, it, what we're was also, going on. Yeah, no beard. Like, you know, we're just seeing him, you know, and, and, but he's young and he's, you know, he's, he's that sort of Robert De Niro you know, that, He's not the Robert Dinner we see the rest of the movie. Right. But I, man, I honestly was a bit like taken back. Like, how did I never see that before? And maybe I did at some point, but I, man, I was like, I had to stop it and like look at it. And I'm like, God, that's him. How crazy. Yeah, I never, uh, it, it was the thing that took me, you see, there's something to, you know, you watch something 20 times and you're still seeing things uh, for the first time. Well, there's all kinds of hidden, I mean, you know, hidden or not so hidden things in there that, you know, I mean, I've had people that didn't even realize that, that uh, Lisa Bonet is, is, is his daughter. Right. (laughs) I mean, really? I mean, how do you miss that part? 
you know, and obviously that creates a whole, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> right. but, a bunch of problems. But then Lisa Bonet, <laughs> and Lisa Bonet's, Bonet's kid in the movie, the, uh, you know, has the glowing eyes of Louis Saifier as well. I mean, right. it's, you know, it's I, anyway, you know, I, I could talk for hours about it. It's sort of, you know, there's a, there's a handful of films that I could definitely um, just sit around and chat about for a long period of time. And, and uh, this is one of them without losing any enthusiasm. The, one of the things I found striking last night with my viewing uh, was the black figure. And I, when Freddie brought up the the reveal at the end of, of actually seeing that we're supposed to be uh, the, the idea that it was De Niro the whole time. And the uh, obviously it was a woman the rest of the time. You could tell by the by just the way. The if I had cloven hooves and a tail, would it make a difference? <laughs> yeah. I love the idea that you never knew when he saw the black figure. Was it a dream? Was it, I always felt like a dream until he got chased out of the church. Right. And then once he got chased out of the church, I'm like, wait, wait, maybe he's experiencing, maybe he is experiencing this, but I love the ending. When you see the black figure for the last time, he, this is the one time that he doesn't stop. He just walks right past it. Right. Because he knows what I guess, maybe guessing he knows what the black figure is now. He doesn't have to look. Maybe. Right. He's, he's, re, he's, he's, yeah, solved, maybe he's so. he solved his case. So he doesn't, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't need to know anymore. Um, yeah, you know, and even earlier when you see the black figure cleaning the blood off the walls, um, you know, is it something that ha- happened the night that he found the kid in the in the in Times Square when he a- ate his heart? And obviously that's probably a bloody thing, you know, or does it, and, you know, this I mean, and the funeral as well. I mean, obviously that funeral is very is, is such a huge part of the film. Uh, that New Orleans funeral, and you know, is it just as simple as being symbolic for him, or is it related to some of the other, you know, the the trail of death that he's left behind him? Or I mean, you know, there's, it's just such a great layered, uh, you know, dense story that you can, and I like that they don't tell you the answers to all these things. That's yes. one of the most frustrating things. I got to tell you, just having, you know, uh, well, you know, sometimes having to to put things in that that you know. I like being ahead of the audience and letting them figure everything out. And sometimes you can't really do that. And, and, you know, they did such a good job of being ahead of the audience. You know, it's frustrating when you can't be, uh, depending on, you know, what you're working on, but, um, but they did such a good job of not pandering to the audience and giving anything away. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, uh, again, it's maybe for me out of all those movies that you mentioned earlier, the uh, I see dead people all it is the greatest reveal in a film I've ever seen that I had that I didn't see coming. I was like, What? <laughs> and, you know, yeah. when he when you know, again, I think it has to do with you know, you're really connected to Harry Angel and you know, you've discovered everything along the way with him. So of course when 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 we get to the reveal, feel every you feel every bit of it. Oh yeah. And even when you even when you when De Niro's talking about the egg, you know, being the the oh. metaphor for the soul, I mean, even that, I mean, okay, you, it's obviously they're 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 tipping their hand a little bit, but it still doesn't give you the actual reveal. It just gives you the reveal that okay, uh, I get it, Louis Saifier. Even even Harry Angel gets it. Oh, he, when he starts saying, "Oh, Louis Saifier, great," I, now I get it. You know, but they, but even with that, it's almost like it's a red herring because, you know, you, you, you still don't put the pieces together until it actually happens. When he takes a bite of that egg, I don't think I was, that was more impactful moment than any times I've ever seen the movie 
when he, but the, the, my viewing last night when he takes a bite of that egg, it was just so, he's just taking a bite of an egg, but there was something violent. Oh, yeah. And malevolent about it. It was so, again, maybe it's because I know, but <laughs> it's still like, fuck, that was gnarly, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, what, what else, what else was, going on around that time was that was that um uh, for de niro was that around the mission or something yeah what it was, was it, it was it was right because it was uh i think it was right after the mission i think the mission came out the year before so there was, there was the mission i think he because he had been kind of absentee for a while and it was the year i want to say the untouchables came out as well in 87 yeah yeah untouchables the mission was just the year before brazil was a year before that and then he this was just before midnight run the next year yeah well, how's that for an eclectic grouping of roles? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, and that's like the second wave. That's, you know, that's, that's the post, uh, raging bull post, uh, mean streets, you know, that's, that's the, uh, post taxi driver that, you know, if you think about De Niro, the body of work, that guy, and then, I mean, his performances are always so different up until, yeah. you know, up until he started making, you know, comedies and such toward the end of, uh, the 20th century but i mean all those 80s things man none of them are alike i mean jack walsh is nothing like louis Saifier and uh or rupert pupkin <laughs> yeah man i mean yeah right after raging bull man he did like you said his character work was something else like none of his roles were similar not even close true confessions king of comedy once upon a time in america brazil mission and, and of course you get to angel hearts like wow but like like him doing the Untouchables was kind of his was his dipping his foot back in the studio pool, and that's when he just started that like you said that that second wave of his career where he became he was so legendary at that point, and from there the Robert De Niro that most people know is from that point forward. He, like you said, his performance is the in this is so subdued and so just wow, yeah, and. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, also, you know, it's funny. I feel like Mickey Rourke doesn't get enough credit, um, you know, because, of, you know, because of what, mo if you, if people, if you said Mickey Rourke to 10 people today, they would, <laughs> they would either say the wrestler or they would just laugh because, you know, but th there was a moment, man, where Mickey Rourke might've been one of the best act. There's not a lot of dudes who could have done those scenes with De Niro in this movie, especially, and held their ground, you know, but I, I feel like their chemistry is totally believable. Um, I never feel, you never feel that, uh, you know, Harry Angel is intimidated the, the way he should be. And he's more, it's a more of a nervous kind of, but I mean, the, the, the scenes between them in this movie are pretty fantastic. And I don't know, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of this movie without either one of these guys in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Another uh, there's there's another visual, wonderful visual too with with De Niro. Again, the egg scene was great with just the close up of his hands while he was you know crushing the shell to peel it. But when you get to the the the, the scene of the reveal, and now you know something's different this time because now Louis' hair is completely open. It's out of the ponytail and it's and it's feathered and winged out, where it's just kind of like as if that isn't <laughs> isn't a visually telling right there i'm like oh wings of course yeah there we go but again it's one of those things in hindsight where you you already you're immediately jarred by what's different about him and that's something that just stands out and so when you get to the the point where they're exchanging the, the, their dialogue and the the reveal is built up yeah it's stunning and the whole time he's still the same subdued performance that you saw in the very first scene of the movie in the church 
Yeah, that the, you know. I'm sorry. The, the, the two where they they both started their their first experience with each other was in the church and ends in a church, completely different locations. I love that. What I, I love the transformation De Niro makes, where you know, obviously in the beginning he's so he's obviously such a gentleman there, and yet he's like a giddy child who has obviously in hindsight you realize why he's acting the way he is because he's he's finally found this guy yeah. who's you know obviously been been you know ducking him for for quite a while and the fact that he doesn't just take him but instead puts him through this ordeal is only the beginning it's it's just such a what a great like what a great uh exercise and what a great uh you know motivation for an actor to to be able to to think about it's not just that you're hiring this guy to do this it's that you've been looking for him for quite a while and now that you've got him you're not gonna you know it's not over with there you you're gonna you're gonna work this in a way that only only this you know this particular right. character can <laughs> oh yeah and he's taking great pleasure in it knowing the this torment that he's putting harry through is only the beginning that planned execution of it just you you're just lead him down this road where you're just going to punish him until he figures it out and it's just oh and the the idea too if i punished you like that on this plane just you wait <laughs> kind of thing oh yeah, yeah exactly it's it's great stuff i mean really just um you know like i said that's why it's always one of those things i go back to and and what i would do to f come across a script like this you know oh man I, I ordered the book uh, back in November. Got here while I was gone. I, I'm. It's something I've been planning to read. You know, while we were on lockdown. It's just. Uh, you know, it's funny when you have all the time in the world, unless you step on your glasses. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. You know. Right. Uh, but it's funny because it's it's still in the pile of stuff I'm reading. I guess I just don't read as fast as I used to. Yeah. But I, I'm dying. I'm dying to get into the book because I, I I've never read it in all these years. That's going to be something I do here in the next week, couple weeks, is uh, dive into that. You got to pass the book. You know, I still never read the book, Freddie. So, so after you read it, let me borrow yeah. it. I, I'll send it to you <laughs> for sure. Was there ever a reveal why they chose the name that they chose and didn't just call it Fallen Angel? Uh, was it too, was that too on the nose for? Because because if you call it Fallen Angel, was it re are you really referring to? the hairy angel character or are we referring to Louie? Yeah. You know? I don't think that they, I don't think that they spell it out for you in the movie. I, you know, I think it's just probably because we go back, you know, the whole heart thing of, of, of the nature of the story of what happens, how, how the, how, how it all goes down. We get several, you know, so the angel heart, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure there was a think tank. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that he ate, he ate Harry His angel's heart. heart to become Harry angel. Right. I don't know. Yeah, see, I get that part. I, but a lot of ways, I think that if they had kept the same name, it would have been, I think it would have been pointing. I mean, everybody knows. I mean, we used to call something Fallen Angel. Well, Lucifer is the Fallen Angel. Right, so, exactly. I mean, That's what I mean. I, I think it might be too on the nose if they had left, if they had left that title in there. Yeah. Or there, you know, or there, maybe there was another, who knows, maybe there was something else in production uh, called Falling Angel at the same time, you know, <laughs> who knows? I mean, could have been. I remember there was a film, another film that they shot in Louisiana called the unholy. Not that it was anything like this movie, but it, what it is about, you know, the devil. So, I mean, maybe it was called falling, you know, maybe, or they just probably wanted to go a different way. Cause maybe it's just, there's a 1950, there's a 1950s. I think it might be 
Otto Preminger, maybe called Fallen Angel. So maybe they just didn't want to be, you know, maybe the name was tied up with that. Unholy, that's the Ben Cross movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So who knows? You know, it, it, it could have been that they didn't want to be too close to another, you know, an older movie. Yeah. Fallen Angel, 1945, mm -hmm. Alice Faye, Dana Andrews. So maybe they just didn't want to go that way because they didn't <laughs> want people to be confused. And it is Otto Preminger. Well, there you go. There you have it. Hey, by the way, I was mistaken on, uh, you know, when I, me I mentioned Christy was co the costume designer on, on this. She actually was the art director. Yeah. I, oh, she was? Yeah. Well, I mean, dude. Yeah, she was movie... a costume designer for, for Alan Parker on Fame and then and then was the art director on, on Angel Heart. Not to nerd out completely, but man, the art direction in this film is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, as is everything. I mean, this is like one of those movies. I was so happy you picked it because I feel like I'm sure that you feel the same way. It's like the perfect storm. It's like where everything just gels. It's like there's nothing. Everybody was definitely on the same page and they were all making this movie. Yeah, no doubt. Is that it? Yeah. Good that stuff. Kinda, I, I hope mean, this is, you know, some good no, content. This, this was great. This was, this is exactly what I kind of hoped. Uh, that the filmnesia was going to be is, you know, to have a conversation about movies like this with somebody else. It's just, and to be such a wonderful conversation too. It was like, oh, yeah, this has been really, really fun. How's that? That was good stuff. Yeah. I think it was great. Yeah. Yeah. So very cool to, to do this. And, and this is the kind of stuff I do anyway, which is kind of funny. I just never <laughs> record it, but um, so this has been great. Right. I mean, yeah. All right then. Well, I think that's it. So when you guys let, let me know when you guys want to do uh want to do like Manhunter or you know something Dude, else. We'll definitely we're we're definitely <laughs> gonna do Manhunter. Oh yes. Even if you just have me as a even you know, even if you even if you do it where you get multiple guests and you know, if you want to talk certain films, Manhunter is one for sure for me. And uh there are others, but uh we're gonna make that happen for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cool. Derek, do you have any any social media tags you want to throw out there for people? I'm out there, man. Or are you? Are you just like us right now, where we're not doing anything? <laughs> we're kind no, of no. Look, I'm out there. I mean, just you know, Derek Fort on on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, getting ready to start start uh, putting out some cool behind the scenes unhinged stuff. I might see uh, some some uh, behind the scenes images of uh, of Freddie here at work, or you know, you name it. They they just gave me the green light to to start uh, you know putting out some behind the scenes stuff. So that'll that'll hopefully be happening in the next day or two and you know just um hopefully you know hopefully we'll be safe to release this film in a few weeks yeah man i'm i i am counting the days and uh hope I, I wish we could all watch it together somewhere fun but you know yeah me too that's not the world right now but, uh, but we can certainly get on the horn with each other immediately following <laughs> well i'm just hoping that you know 20 years from now you guys are gonna we'll do a little filmnesia for unhinged yeah man Absolutely. Yeah, but 20 years from now, we're going to actually forget. <laughs> It'll be so old. That's true. What's that film called again? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll have that built-in pill. Awesome. Well, cool. You, uh, I appreciate it, guys. Great talking with you. And, um, you know, edit me edit me so that I don't sound like a knucklehead. <laughs> no, I spend more time on me more than anything else. Gotcha. Good talking to you, man. I miss you, brother. I miss you, too, man. Let's let, hopefully get another job here and get to work together again soon absolutely all right man talk to you soon all right take care guys awesome. bye thanks